0: To start off with uh, this morning, I'd like to um, ask us to think about a question. When was it that you became a Christian? Now, obviously, I'm making a bit of an assumption here that most of us would identify ourselves as a Christian. So just for those of us who are in that category, I want you to think, when was it? What moment in time did you become a Christian? Now, I appreciate that not everyone here will be able to answer that. Maybe you wouldn't call yourself a Christian yet at this point in time. Maybe you're just looking or just exploring or whatever. And obviously that's completely fine, we like that. Or maybe you would say, well actually, um, I've always been a Christian as long as I can remember. And that's fine too. But for those of us who do know a point in time at which it came about, I'd like you just to think about when that was. If you uh, do what I did, which is to Google how to become a Christian last week, the first result that comes up is from the Mormons. So um, I think we'll pass over that one. But then the second one is from the Billy Graham organization, and it says this is the kind of prayer that you need to pray. Lord Jesus, I'm sorry for the things I've done wrong in my life. I ask your forgiveness and now turn from everything which I know is wrong. Thank you for dying on the cross for me to set me free from my sins. Please come into my life and fill me with your Holy Spirit and be with me forever. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. And that's a pretty standard way for evangelical Christians to explain what is involved in changing from being a non-Christian to a Christian. And that's fine and there's nothing wrong with it. It's all true. The Bible says all of those things in different places and... It's a perfectly good prayer to encourage someone to pray. But there are quite a few problems with defining it uh, quite so simplistically or or, or narrowly. Uh, For one thing, uh, and this is something that people quite often ask me about when they read the accounts of Jesus' life in the New Testament, we search in vain in those accounts for any specific point in time when we see any of Jesus' disciples becoming a Christian by praying that kind of prayer or anything really that's recognizably like it not even after the resurrection even though at the end of the three or so years that they spent with jesus if not before that there is obviously no doubt whatsoever that they did become christians as we would now call them and very committed christians people who were willing to die for jesus as all but one of them ended up doing So while Jesus challenged them in many things, he doesn't appear to have challenged them to pray that prayer. But what we do is we see this group of people, this group of disciples going on a journey with Jesus, quite literally walking around first century Israel and getting to know him and getting to understand him bit by bit along the way. And we see the disciples from time to time having eureka moments when a penny drops and something begins to make sense. So we see not just one praying the prayer moment, instead we see multiple moments. We see particular events and particular things that Jesus challenges them about that we might call waypoints on their journey. When it's like the disciples come to a junction in the road and they need to decide whether they're going to say yes to Jesus and go where he's going, or turn back and go the other way. Decisions that they have to make about how they're going to answer that particular question that Jesus is asking them at that point on their journey, to which he is inviting them to say yes. What we don't see, though, is this journey of becoming a Christian somehow compressed into one single prayer, in response to one single question at one time. So let me ask you something else. Assuming that you can relate to a point in time at which you became a Christian in that sense, how long did that journey take you to get to that point of asking Jesus into your life? Think about where that journey started from. Maybe you had no God framework at all. Maybe you had some God framework. Maybe you believed that there was a God, but you had no real idea about Jesus and how he might be relevant. And I wonder if you can remember any significant waypoints along the way. Apparently, uh, studies have shown that the average length of time for that journey is four years. And there's a couple of interesting things about that. One is that it seems to be remarkably close to the disciples' timeline. The three or so years that they journeyed with Jesus before most of the pennies had dropped. And the other is that if we're working with the idea of walking with people on their personal journey, how we think about sharing the gospel with someone has to change. Our target or our objective has to be more long-sighted than just getting them to pray a prayer at the earliest possible moment. Even if, in some cases, we've only just met them. Even if they know virtually nothing about Jesus where they're at right now. Because for most of us, that wasn't how it worked, was it? So why would we think it should be for our friends? So, what I want to suggest is that what we see happening in the disciples journeying with Jesus in the New Testament offers us a a much better picture of what's actually happening with us today in our journeying with Jesus. A journey in which it's not just about one question, but a whole series of questions that Jesus puts to us and invites us to say yes to, one at a time, as we move from one step along our journey with him to the next and the next and the next. And clearly, those questions include the major question, but it's by no means the only question, and nor is it the first one. Now, of course, our decision to become a Christian is the most important of all of the waypoints on our journey. It's the point at which, as Jesus puts it in John five twenty four, we cross over from death to life, rather like crossing a border, from one country to another. Colossians 1.13 describes it as God having rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. There's a transfer from one to the other. So it is the major waypoint when we answer the major question on that journey. But the problem with focusing solely or mainly on just that one decision That one question, irrespective of where a person is at on the journey and where they're starting from, and irrespective of what they know and they don't know, is that we can end up unhelpfully categorising people in a binary fashion. People who believe versus people who don't believe. Those who are in versus those who are out. As if that is all that's involved. And this is what is known as a bounded set way of thinking, in which people who are inside that boundary are in and fine, and those who are outside the boundary are out and not fine, based solely on whether or not they've prayed the prayer. In a bounded set way of thinking, what's important is where we stand in relation to the boundary. In cricketing terms, are we inside the rope? Since inside or outside are the only two options. But in a centred set way of thinking, the focus instead is on where we stand in relation to the centre, which of course is Jesus. And not just where we stand, but where are we going? What's our direction of travel, as it were? Is it to Jesus or away from Jesus are we coming closer or moving farther away in hide-and-seek terms are we getting warmer or are we getting colder and in a centered set model you can see that some of the people who in the bounded set model seem to be right in there are actually moving away from Jesus not towards him and some of the people who before we would have said were inside the boundary Uh, excuse me, outside the boundary are actually those who are moving the fastest towards him. One of the things that's quite helpful about changing from a bounded set to a centered set way of thinking is that it helps us to see that when we're wanting to share Jesus with our friends it isn't all about just trying to get them to pray that prayer any chance that we get irrespective of where they are at right now and what they do or don't understand. It gets us away from that in or out transactional mentality. Now, three years ago, there was what the Christian Today website called a revival in Reading in Berkshire. You may have heard about it. And the headlines said that 1,200 people had given their lives to Jesus in just three weeks, which sounds great, doesn't it? And it was thanks to a street campaign led by an itinerant American revivalist called Tommy Zito. This is him. By four weeks in, the number had grown to 1,800 people. And by the time the team went across the channel to do it in France, they were claiming that the number of conversions was now 2,500. And the way that it worked was that Christians from local churches went into the town center ...stopping people in the street and trying to engage them in one-on-one conversation... ...the way that charities like Oxfam sometimes do with uh, students and clipboards. And they were all given a script to follow, which one commentator explained like this. It takes the form of a short introduction followed by three short scripture verses quoted in succession... A prayer is offered during which the subject is invited to repeat a version of the sinner's prayer. Emphasis is placed throughout on being quick. The entire process can be over in a few minutes. The subject continues on his or her way and another response, another decision is recorded. And this is the kind of script that they were following. I'll just read a a few bits of it. You can pause the video and read the rest later if you want. Hi, my name is Steve. What's your name? Austin. Austin, I've just got to tell you two things real quick that God loves you and has an awesome plan for your life. Before I go, I've got to ask you a real quick question. If you were to die today, do you know for sure without a shadow of a doubt that you would go straight to heaven? Then there's some helpful notes. If no, or I think so, go with the script. If yes, say, great, why would you say yes? If they do not say, I have Jesus in my heart, or I am born again, go with the script. So before I go, I'm going to say a quick prayer for you. Just give me your hand. Lord, I pray that you bless Austin and his family with long and healthy lives. Make yourself so real to him. And if Austin has never received Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, I pray that he would do so right now. Austin, If you would like to receive this free gift, Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour, just say this with me. Then there's the prayer. Austin, I tell you today that all of your sins are forgiven right now and you can know for sure that you're on your way to heaven. Okay, amen. God bless you. Have a great day. And each person that they went through this script with was counted as one of these conversions now please don't get me wrong on this it's really great that so many Christians in Reading should get together and want to go out on the streets and share about Jesus absolutely it is and that takes courage doesn't it that's not at all easy but whether it has anything to do with the revival is another thing entirely not least because one of the local ministers who was very involved in this campaign and indeed very positive about it he admitted that they hadn't seen one new person coming into their church as a result nor was he aware of that having happened in any of the other churches either which of course is totally different to all of the great revivals in church history so whatever those thousands of people thought was going on when they agreed to be prayed for it doesn't seem to have triggered any expectation that they would have anything to do with church as a result. And of course the other thing we don't know is how many more thousands of people may have been put off Jesus and Christians because of this cultural approach. Now the reality is we know that most people become a Christian because of an existing relationship with Christians. And that most people become a Christian over a period of time because they are on a journey of learning, discovering, asking, watching and experiencing. Very few people go from nowhere at all with God to surrendering their life to him. Not in any meaningful sense in one two-minute conversation with someone that they've never met full of religious language and concepts that they've never even heard before, especially in this country, which for many years now has been post-Christian, where most people we come across have no background in church or the Bible or Bible stories from school. So if people no longer have that background, then technically there is nothing there to revive. There's nothing to bring back to life again we're starting from scratch now you may have heard me say that the definition of a Christian isn't someone who said yes to Jesus once a Christian is someone who says yes to Jesus continuously because what we find is that at each stage of our journey with him he's always asking us a question he doesn't just invite us to say one yes to one question once and that's that. Where off we go uh, with our get out of hell free card safely tucked away in our wallet next to our organ donor card just in case one of them becomes relevant one day. Especially when the question that we're being asked is one that realistically no one is gonna say no to. Like, would you like to know for sure that you're going to go to heaven? Would you like God to bless you and your family with long and healthy lives? And it's all free. It won't cost you anything. All you need to do is let me pray for you real quick. Now when we read the Gospels, we see Jesus asking people questions all of the time. Just in the Gospel of Mark, for example, the shortest one. There are 67 events recorded in which there is some kind of conversation. And in 50 of those, Jesus is asking questions. And to be honest, they are a lot more challenging than the ones in the script. And that is true also of the questions that Jesus asks us now. They're questions like, how deep is my Christianity going to go into my life? Who's going to be Lord of my life? Is it me or Jesus? There are questions about what does it look like in practice to be a disciple, especially when the rubber hits the road. How am I going to answer him when Jesus starts to gently but firmly ask me some uncomfortable questions about my money and my sexual morality and my selfishness and my anger and my greed and my language at work? and how I behave when no one from church is there to see me, and so on. Not just a question about whether I'd like Jesus to shower me with free gifts that won't cost me anything. So let me try and bring all this uh, together. I want to finish uh, with a different way of looking at how we go about sharing Jesus with our friends It's a way that respects every individual being on their own journey and which encourages us to engage with them on that journey at whatever place they are at right now along the way. A journey that doesn't just have one waypoint and one question and one prayer to pray, but a whole series of waypoints along the way where Jesus is asking us different questions and inviting us to say yes to each one as the journey continues. And that different way of looking at it is something called the Engel scale. And this was originally developed by a Professor James Engel as a way of picturing the process that's at work in people's lives as they are on their spiritual journey. What Engel realised was that our journey to Jesus... And then our journey with Jesus is a bit like a picture of a tube line on the underground. That's my metaphor rather than his. With various stations that we pass through on the way. So once we realise this, the approach of our preaching and how we engage with our friends is no longer about trying to move everyone directly from minus nine or minus ten With no God framework whatsoever, to expecting them to suddenly pray the prayer, thanks to one killer sermon or one slam dunk conversation. Instead of being about sealing that transaction, it's rooted in the context of a relationship. It's about being friends with people and walking alongside them on their journey and being wherever they are at at that moment helping them to move along, to move up the scale, maybe one or two places at a time, with space for the Holy Spirit to be revealing things to them as they go. It's about treating people as individuals and not projects, making sure that we are at wherever they are at on that scale, because that is where God will be with them at that time. Someone else called Frank Gray realized that people's journeys will be affected by the extent to which they're open or closed to the things of God. So he added that horizontal dimension. And there are various reasons, of course, why someone may be more or less uh, open or closed, including bad experience of church and bad experience of Christians. So part of our job as we journey with people will be to try to rehabilitate church and Christianity in their eyes by showing them that it doesn't have to be the way that they've experienced it in the past. Now I will, I will add the missing detail on this in just a moment but keep in mind that these points on the scale will vary person to person and so too will the order. So don't assume that it must always work the exact same way for everyone, because obviously it's not perfect science. Just try to grasp the general picture here and the idea of your friends being on a journey and the concept of walking alongside them on that journey stage by stage, helping them to move along that scale, one or two or maybe even sometimes three steps at a time through particular conversations or particular services they come to or sermons they hear or alpha or whatever. And also keep in mind that what we're not trying to do is to take anyone and everyone, whatever their circumstances, from this minus nine or minus ten straight to zero and beyond, infinity and beyond in Buzz Lightyear terms, with our script in our hand, every chance we get. So let's start with the first few points on the scale, which obviously start with someone who has no real God framework at all, and certainly no awareness of the God of the Bible. But they are perhaps aware of a sense of emptiness, of a spiritual void in their life, that God-shaped space inside every person that we sometimes talk about. If they're on the right-hand side of the slide and very open, then their journey will probably move a bit quicker. They'll have more conversations with you, maybe come to church more often and start meeting some of your Christian friends. Obviously, at this point, they'll have lots of questions and lots of misconceptions about God, but as they engage, an awareness of who God is and what he's like will start to emerge. And they'll start to wonder whether this personal relationship with God that you and your friends have is something that they could have as well. And it's during this phase of someone's journey, if they start coming to the vineyard, that we hope that when we ask them, how did you find it, they'll say things like, interesting, or intriguing, or not what I expected. And hopefully they'll say, I wouldn't mind coming again. Now just as an aside, don't ever worry about someone appearing to be as interested in the church as they are in Jesus at this point in their journey, because there's nothing wrong with that. After all, there are plenty of church experiences that put people off Jesus, so let's not be concerned about one that may not. So a yes to Jesus at this point in time is all about, I'd be interested to find out a bit more. I've got lots of questions that I'd like to ask you. A yes to Jesus at this point in time might be saying, I've always thought that church was this, that, or the other. But here it seems different, the way you talk about God seems to be different. A yes at this point in the journey might be, can I come next week? Or I'd like to take you up on your offer to stay for lunch after the service. And then moving along that scale, No real God framework begins to change as we begin to develop a Jesus-centered framework for understanding who God is and what he's like. We move from vague ideas of believing in some kind of God, some kind of supreme being or life force, to seeing how the story of Jesus makes God make sense. And most importantly, not just that the facts make sense, but they also start to experience God and God's love. They see how Christians love each other and how they love other people, including, in particular, those who are struggling and less fortunate. They see Christians who are not only interested in people's spiritual lives and getting lots of converts that they can brag about on Facebook, but who want to love people. Not with an agenda to convert them, but just because God loves them unconditionally. And they see how God having loved and accepted us, changed us. And causes us to love and accept others with that same love. And they begin to sense what we would call the presence of God in the services. Now, now they might not have the language for it yet but they'll be realising that this Christianity business is not just about information to be grasped intellectually. It's also about a supernatural God who people can experience and know personally and who cares about and is involved in their lives and situations. So maybe they'll use words like, a bit spooky or gave me goosebumps. Or I felt something that I'd never experienced before. It made me feel a bit emotional, even though it wasn't weird. A yes to Jesus at this point is increasing engagement. Asking lots more questions. Beginning to read some bits in the Bible. Keeping coming along to things and getting to know Christians. And maybe reading my book. On the other hand, uh, forget that, Uh, maybe not reading my book, Not, not just yet. Wait until plus five for that. And then finally we get to this point of decision. Not that the person knows everything at this point in time, after all who does? Not that there won't still be questions and maybe still some big questions as we would call them. And still lots to learn and discover. But everything necessary to decide whether they want to know God personally, whether they want to become a follower of Jesus, to surrender their life to him, what we call the main and the plane of the good news, is all there and available to them at this point. So now it is decision time. And again, remember that Jesus said, uh, let people count the cost, so don't try to steamroll or anyone. But at the same time, don't let them just drift along forever and fail to grasp that there is a decision needing to be made. There is a border to cross, like those verses that we read earlier, where we cross over from death to life, from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of God's Son, where we begin to know God personally through Jesus and be assured of eternal life. And, of course, the journey then continues into what we would start to call the Christian life. Becoming a Christian is marked by changing direction, what we call repentance, and then baptism and receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't just stop at that point on the scale that is marked zero. It doesn't stop with, okay, amen, God bless you, have a great day. It then becomes about engaging with God's people and becoming involved in the work of God's kingdom. Learning and serving and giving and becoming more like Jesus little by little, day by day and growing in character. Taking on the family characteristics of someone who has God as their heavenly father and Jesus as their brother. Someone who's proud to represent the family name, and gets on with doing the stuff that Jesus did.